You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Welcome to the Collegian Week in Review. Here are your hosts, Maddie Welsh and Lauren Scott. Welcome back to the Collegian Week in Review, where we give you an inside look into Michigan's oldest college newspaper. We're your hosts, Maddie Welsh and Lauren Scott. And today we'll be talking to Christian Peck Dimmitt about the men's basketball team and how it was brought up from nothing by head coach John Tharp. Then we'll talk to Tate Christensen about professors who've raised their children to be bilingual. Next, we'll talk to Maura Gleason about what students did the last time we had a big snowstorm. And then we'll close with some of the top headlines from the Collegian this week. This is Maddie, and I'm here with Christian Peck Dimmitt, the associate editor of the Collegian. And this week, Christian wrote his last story about basketball for the Collegian. Um, And it's basically about how the program became what it is today. So, Christian, tell me a little bit more about this story. Pleasure to be here. Really, really the the news hook for this story was uh, over the last five years, so since the start of the 2018-19 season, uh, Hillsdale's basketball program, the, the men's team, has had the highest winning percentage of any NCAA program in the state of Michigan. Uh, all levels, so including, you know, it's higher than Michigan State, higher than U of M, higher than Ferris State and Calvin are the other two in the top five uh, with Hillsdale. And it's by a considerable margin. It's more than 5% that they are better than uh, those other schools. So that's kind of the news hook of, of a, uh, a stat that maybe not a lot of people know about. Maybe not a lot of people have even heard of Hillsdale basketball. And you go, how are they better than, than Michigan and Michigan State? Uh, and so it's, this, it's about 1,800 words. So it's this kind of expose on just how the program has this success and how it's how it's gotten here so how how it got built so how did it get built <laughs> uh it's sadly a little easier uh said than done uh but essentially it's it's a lot of it hinges on coach tharp so coach john tharp took over uh 16 years ago this was uh his 16th year that he just finished up a couple of weeks ago and he uh i, I talked to three Former players, two current players, and Coach Tharp uh, got about three hours of interview, and just all of them, uh, except for Coach Tharp, he's he's a little bit humbler. Uh, all of the players kind of pointed to Coach Tharp as kind of this fountainhead of obviously basketball wisdom, and he you know coaches a great team on the court, but then just tradition and like this excellent culture that he's built off the court. As well, uh, you talk to guys uh, like Davis Larson and Pat Cartier. Cartier was an All-American here for us, and uh, Davis Larson was a first-team All-Conference guy. And both of them talked about like you kind of just set foot on campus, or you spend a day with the team, and right away you kind of know like this is where I'm going to come. These are the guys I want to spend my career with, and uh, it's stuff like that that kind of allows you to build a program like this. What did the earlier days of Tharp's time at Hillsdale look like? And how did you know he start building the program? That is a, a great question. Uh, so start at the front, actually, with uh, the Elite Eight last year. Uh, first time that the uh, program ever made it to an NCAA Elite Eight game. And before uh, leaving, so right after the last practice, before they drive down to Evansville to, to play this game, uh, Coach Tharp takes the whole team and he brings them back into the old locker room. I believe it's now the visiting locker room. Uh, it stopped more than a decade ago being uh, 
uh, the team's locker room, and he kind of just sat them all down in there and was like, this is where it all started. This is where, you know, when I first came here, the teams that I had to build. And uh, he started with four guys when he first started. Uh, when he first took over the program, only four players from the previous years stayed on with the team. So he had to kind of pick up a bunch of random guys and make kind of a hodgepodge compilation. Then they kind of just made it through the year at 500, so they won as many games as they lost. And then it was that next year that he said the, the revolution started. And he, he intentionally, like he told those guys at the time, like I'm, I'm, we're starting a revolution here. Uh, and essentially he, he revolutionized college ball and within, I think it was five years. So within four years of the revolution starting in his fifth year, it was 2012. They, they already had gotten to the top of the GLIAC and won the, uh, the conference championship. What were some of the stories that players told about Tharp? <laughs> that is, that is a great question. Um, you, you get, when you talk to former players, uh, the, the current guys, so I talked to Jack Golke and Peter Kaltoff from this year's team, uh, I think it was a little bit harder to kind of look back on their time and tell stories, almost like because they ended about two, a little more than two weeks ago, so a little bit harder to kind of look back and analyze all this stuff. But the former players, uh, you, get a, you get a wide range of, you know, Pat telling me like, oh, just kind of hanging out with him or being with the team and, you know, all this stuff. Uh, all the way to Dylan Lowry, uh, the, the article opens with, um, in 2018, they won, or 2020 rather, they won the conference championship. They beat Findlay in Findlay to get the first ever GMAC championship. So after switching conferences and, uh, coach Tharp comes into the locker room and gives Dylan a big hug while he's in the shower still. Uh, and Tharp had a full suit on, uh, and it, it just kind of paints this picture of what, what a passionate guy uh, Coach Tharp is and, and kind of how much he cares about the team and, and winning. You talked about in this piece how college basketball and early college athletics at large are changing in a lot of ways, but Tharp is kind of trying to not let that happen at Hillsdale. So tell me more about that. Yeah, uh, so this is purely uh, me being subjective. It's my own thoughts. Um, but it's it's I don't know how much of it is Coach Tharp is trying to keep it from changing versus he has to, because you have a program here. Uh, obviously, it's built on tradition and family, like we talked about. Uh, but you also have a program where, hey, look around. You got 1,500 kids. You got only four-year programs. There's only two master's programs. Like one of them is classical uh, education. Like none of these guys. Maybe Peter Kaltoff's the only one that would stay around and get uh, a master's in classical education. So around uh, the NCAA, around the country, you're getting all of these programs that are taking on, I, you know, I have two years of eligibility left. Uh, they just, we just added this guy that's really good and he's going to take all my minutes. So I want to go to a school, you know, just to ride my last two years out and just play some ball we're not going to get any of those transfers. We're not going to get any of the, like, I have a sixth year I didn't know about. I'm going to go and play at Hillsdale. No one's, no one's doing that. Not only are, do they not want to take players like that because, you know, it's kind of cheating out the guys that he recruited out of high school and has, has built up in the program, but also what are they going to do? They're, they're not going to come here for their last year of eligibility and then take two years worth of core classes so that they can graduate with a degree. It's, 
Uh, it's a unique place. Obviously, you see Hillsdale in the world at large kind of standing out. Uh, but then also in the world of athletics, you have NIL deals in, in the transfer portal. And obviously, Hillsdale is in some ways uh, kept from that, unable to join in on that. And in some ways, it's it's intentionally, you know, you, you don't want the tradition uh, and the, the idea of college athletics taking away from it. Do you think in the next couple of seasons, Hillsdale is going to be able to keep this winning percentage steady, or is it going to change a bit? That is that is a great question. Uh, it's always tough to answer. Uh, I'll give you I'll give you the journalist right on the fence answer, uh, which is that we are losing six guys, uh, including four of our five starters. Uh, so two of them were fifth years, two of them were four year true seniors. Uh, we're we're losing them all to graduation, and you kind of look around and you say, you got some great young talent, but th- can they perform, quote, right now? So can this can this next year be good? Frankly, I don't know, uh, because last year you lose Pat Cartier, you lose Austin Yarian, you lose Tavon Brown, your, your three kind of uh, towers, at, they're all 6'8", they all played great minutes, they all started at, you know, all, all kinds of games, and obviously Pat was an All-American. And you say, well, next year we're, we're certainly going to be <laughs> – subpar shall we say uh and then we turn around and we have uh, a historic season and we have technically a better winning percentage than the year we went to the elite eight and you you kind of got to put your trust in coach tharp and you know the the kind of developing he can do with with guys especially younger guys and you know see what happens well thanks for coming on the show christian always a pleasure you're listening to the collegian week in review this is Lauren, and I'm here with Tate Christensen. She is a freelancer at the Collegian, and this week she wrote a story about professors' children growing up speaking two languages. So tell me some of the professors that you interviewed and what languages their children can speak. I talked with Dr. Anna Vincenzi, whose three kids speak Italian. Um, I also spoke with uh, Dr. Sherry Rose, whose two daughters speak French, and then Dr. Todd Mack, whose five kids speak Spanish and English. So how does that work with Dr. Vincenzi and her children? Do they speak both English and Italian at home, or is it just Italian? With her, it sounded like it was mostly Italian, because for her and her husband, they're both native Italian speakers, and so it really didn't... Um, come naturally to them to raise their kids speaking English in the house. That was kind of something that they learned at daycare, at school, that type of thing. So at home, they would speak Italian. At school, they would speak English. And yeah, as they've grown up, the two languages have just become Italian at home and English at school. Why did she say it was important for them as parents to speak to their children in only Italian and not English? Um, Because... She said as soon as you kind of cross that line and you speak to them in English when they've grown up speaking Italian to them their whole lives, then the kids kind of start to get confused um, because Italian is what they've spoken at home. English is what they've spoken at school. But once you speak to them in English, they realize, oh, I could also speak to my parents in English. And then they start to gravitate more towards English because that's what they speak at school all day. So speaking in Italian at home uh, just makes it that's their home language. As far as um, associate professor of Spanish, Dr. Mack, 
teaching his children how to fluently speak in Spanish. How has that helped them like when they travel places? Yeah, so Dr. Mack talked about uh, taking his kids um, overseas, and he said it was just a cool experience for them, being able to understand the culture around them because they could understand the language um, of the culture. And so there wasn't that language barrier of, oh, he and his wife understand, but the kids don't. But the kids were able to also participate in um, like the culture in the they were in Spain. And so he just thought that was cool for them to be able to participate in that, too. Does he think that teaching them Spanish has helped them with their English vocabulary? Yes. Yeah, he commented that it's helped them with their English. It's helped them learn other languages, too. I think he said his daughter is also learning Dutch. Um, So just having that foundation of Spanish and English, they're able to see the correlations between the two languages and then continue building on that, which I also thought was cool. Associate Professor of French, Sherry Rose, has taught her two children how to speak French. Uh, Was this a difficult process or did the children kind of come to it naturally? Yeah, no, I think it was a more or less natural decision to raise her kids speaking that language. Um, She also, kind of like Dr. Mack talked about how it's helped them. Uh, When they've traveled, they also can speak the language when they go to France She did talk about it being difficult to find resources, like books, TV shows, that type of thing, um, for her kids to watch. Um, Since we are in the Midwest and we're not in France, uh, it was kind of tricky, but she said things like Amazon, um, Disney Plus, that type of thing has helped and to help kind of like reinforce the language, but also like Dr. Vincenzi, she said her kids go to school, speak English, and so sometimes there would be that getting the words mixed up, you know, putting a French word in where an English word should go. But she also talked about how it was interesting to see what words the kids chose to use in different uh, situations, whether they would choose an English word, a French word, and like just their natural choice there. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. The Collegian Week in Review continues. This is Maddie, and I'm here with Maura Gleason, a reporter for The Collegian. And this week she wrote a couple of pieces. One is about um, what students got up to the last time that we had a big snow. So Maura, tell me a little bit more about this story. There was there were a bunch of guys who got up to some shenanigans on that Friday and Saturday night when it snowed. So big group played Thatcher Ball on Friday night, which sounds like an adventure. Um, I finally got one person to actually explain the rules to me. Everyone else was like, oh, don't know if you're supposed to know that. So What are the rules? The, I'm not familiar rules, either. The rules. Well, there, there's two groups of people, and it's, it's, all, it's all guys. They get out there, and it's not really divided by dorm, it sounds like. It's just like 10 guys offense, 10 guys defense, however many people show up. And it's basically you have to touch the football to the Margaret Thatcher statue, and you get like a certain number of points minus how many articles of clothing you're wearing. So it sounds like a fun guy bonding experience. Um, yeah, that's why they wouldn't tell me the rules at first. But 
Yeah. Um, and then after that, it was there were some people who went and shoveled sidewalks and got to meet Penny Arn. And then there were um, some other people who decided, some Simpson guys decided they wanted to outdo Galloway and build a bigger igloo, which they did not complete because it fell down on their heads. But it was a, it was a grand um, idea. It was, it was a valiant effort. Um, so I was basically chasing down people the day before spring break started to ask them about what they did in the snow. So I met with like five or six different guys and I was like, so tell me about that igloo. It was very fun. Tell me more about the meeting with Penny Arn. What was that? How did that happen? So the guys were shoveling sidewalks all the way from Mac out to Broadlawn. Broadlawn was apparently the last one they did. And so some people had left, but the ones who who stuck with it and went and shoveled Broadlawn sidewalks, Penny Arn came out at like 12.30 at night and gave them all protein bars and thanked them for, for like being such such good boys and shoveling her sidewalk for her. And um, I was talking to Max Kenny, who was kind of spearheading this, and he said he didn't realize before that she had a British accent, but she does. So what what do you think about the conflict between the two igloo builders? What does that say about dorm culture, if mm. anything? I think maybe Simpson is a little bit ambitious sometimes and just can't follow through, but they did try. Galloway actually got it done, though. Too big for their britches, perhaps? Yeah, perhaps. So you also wrote a story this week about the Sock Theater in Jonesville um, and some short plays that they've been performing there. So tell me a little bit more about that. That was a really fun story. Um, I basically got to go watch an evening of 10 different 10-minute short plays. Uh, They were very happy to have me. Trinity Bird is the executive director there. He got all of the playwrights together to talk to me. So I got to talk to each of the um, the four playwrights who are from like close by in Michigan who wrote uh, some of the plays and then I got to ask them like about what inspired their plays and um, kind of what the story was um, and then I got to see them all there were five that were not by local playwrights and five that were um, but they were all they were all kind of mixed together um, and yeah I got to talk to some of the actors afterward which was really fun Apparently they do it every year, and there's one guy who's been writing um, a play every year for the festival, and this is this is like the the tenth one that he's done. What were some of your favorites that you saw? Josh Leitner wrote Plain Salad. That one was very funny. He said it was inspired partially by his own awkward social interactions, and um, it was it was a little bit relatable. There's basically this guy who's at dinner with his friends who set him up on a double date, and he didn't realize it, but the whole point of him going to dinner was he was trying to ask out this waitress. So it was just, it was very comedic. Um, and yeah, I thought that one, they, the acting really nailed it. And it was, yeah, that was the most entertaining for sure. What was it like talking to these local playwrights? Do they, are they sort of influenced by their area or what was that like talking to them? Yeah, that was, that was a, um, that was really interesting because a lot of them had never written plays before getting involved with the Sock Theater, um, and they had just like been involved in other ways. Like this one woman, her daughter had been acting for the theater, and then she started getting involved and decided to start writing plays. And she actually had two in the in the festival. Um, and then there was another woman who had like never written a play before, and this was her first one. So she was, um, she was just really happy to, to have accomplished that. 
I think a lot of them were inspired by things that had just like happened to them. The the woman whose first play it was, um, Megan Bryant, I think, she wrote a play based on an experience that she had with her family, um, where they went on this like 30 day healthy eating challenge. And she turned that into a play because of the way her kids reacted to that idea. And then a lot of the other the others were either inspired by like personal experience or something that each of the playwrights had read. Um, the envelope was inspired by a, a scene in A Christmas Carol, and the question of like, can you, can you change your your own future? Um, and that was, that one was really cool. That was less of a personal experience, but more of just like something that they had, they had read. Thanks for coming on the show, Mora. Yeah, thank you so much. This is the Collegian Week in Review. This is Maddie, and I'm here with some of the top stories in the Collegian this week. Our very first story in the Collegian is about president of the college, Larry Arn, getting back to work after getting brain surgery. Editor-in-chief Maggie Hronchik wrote, College president Larry Arn is back to work after undergoing brain surgery on March 22. He announced in an email to students, faculty, and staff on Wednesday. I feel better than I have felt for some years, Arn, who is 70, told the Collegian after his surgery. Arn, who had more than 30 examinations and spent eight days at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, was treated for a rise in fluid and pressure around his brain, he said. Arn is recovering very quickly and said that the surgery was not very serious. Another story we have here is about the rising senior class officers being announced this week. Collegian reporter Sarah Catherine Sisk wrote, The class of 2024 learned the results of the senior class officer elections at the annual Legacy Board formal dinner. Joseph Perez won president, Michael Bachman vice president, Elizabeth Dickinson secretary, Grace Hearn treasurer, and Ben Henrich social chair. The members of the Legacy Board for the class of 2024 were also announced. Those members include Ella Denning, Katie Dugan, Lucy Fernandez, Dugan Foley, Grace Scott-Walt, Ben Henricks, Caleb Holm, Evelyn Homily, Gabrielle Lewis, Matt Muller, Mary Ruth Oster, and Tristan Wertanzel. These students will help create a great senior experience for the class of 2024. Another story on the front page here is about campus anticipating a visit from Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Assistant Editor Carly Moran wrote, on Thursday, April 6th, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis will speak at a dinner hosted by the Hillsdale College Special Events Office. The event will be held at 4 p.m. in the Searle Center, beginning with a panel discussion on K-12 education. A reception and dinner will follow, and the evening will close with Q&A between College President Larry Arne and DeSantis. Thanks for listening to some of the top stories in the Collegian this week. You have been listening to the Collegian Week in Review on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. We are your hosts, Lauren Scott and Maddie Welsh. You can find the Collegian online at hillsdalecollegian.com or on Instagram and Twitter at hdalecollegian. You can also find previous episodes of the Collegian Week in Review at cwir.transistor.fm. Once again, you have been listening to the Collegian Week in Review on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. See you next week.